0: Hey, crack fans. One location with our friends at Swing Vision. Welcome to the mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, July 7th. It was a day at the 2022 Wimbledon that saw two singles matches on court, but three singles results emerge. What a day for all of us tennis fans. Of course, it certainly started exciting on the court as Onjabur and Elena Rabakina advance to their first Grand Slam singles finals of their respective careers, ensuring we will have a first time major champion crowned at the 2022 Wimbledon. Of course, the third result generated on the day, the unfortunate news that Rafael Nadal's quest for the 2022 calendar slam comes to an end. Rafael Nadal confirming reports that he had suffered an abdominal tear throughout the course of this event. As such, Nadal forced to withdraw from from his semi-final against Nick Kyrgios. Now we want to talk not only about Nadal's decision but of course more predominantly about what was an exciting day of action on the grounds at Wimbledon and if you're going to try and tackle three expansive topics you better have some help doing it along the way thankfully I do on today's show as joining me once again is a returning champion here on our mini break podcast feed a man you know best as a writer on our website CrackRackets.com, for last word on tennis for action network and of course for his all about tennis blog of course he's also a man we know as our friend David Gertler David welcome back to the show how are you doing today
1: thank you so much for having me Alex I am uh, the the women's tournament has been super interesting so far and I am ready to dive in.
0: So true or false, David Gertler, because if memory serves me correct, you did join me for our title contenders podcast on the women's singles side and for our women's draw preview. You named Onjabur as your pre-tournament pick to win the 2022 Wimbledon title. How are you feeling from a nerves perspective going into the final weekend?
1: Unfortunately, there's going to be some changes. (laughs) Uh, We can talk about that more later. But unfortunately, you know what? I won't say unfortunately because I think that the eventual champion is going to be very, very deserving.
0: Well. It's great to hear you're hedging your bets. I've missed you too, my friend. It's good to see you're exactly where we've left you. And yeah, I I mean, again, we'll get into our final preview as well. I suppose, excuse me, that's a fourth bonus topic. There it is, finding my words here at the start of today's podcast that we'll get to cover on today's show. But again, plenty of meat on the bone for today's episode. Yes, there were only two singles matches on court, but we want to talk about how On Jabor was able to survive against Tatiana Maria, about how how Elena Rabakina continues to thrive and honestly dominated her in her straight set victory over Simona Halb. Of course, I also want to sneak in a little doubles talk as well and then want to get your thoughts, David, on both tomorrow's Djokovic-Nori match as well as the women's final. But of course, before we can do any of that, have to give a shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their continued support of this show. It's what allows us to do these daily podcasts as there is so much action that happens on the ground at Wimbledon, so much action that happens day in, day out, across levels in the tennis world tennis fans deserve a daily show covering all of that action we try to provide that for you all here at Crack rackets and the reason i'm able to spend all day monitoring all of that tennis is because of the support we get from our friends at tennis point who by the way do offer the best equipment at the best prices for tennis fans everywhere of course if you need anything strings shoes rackets clothing you name it they've got all the best brands all the best prices so much more you can find it all by going to tennis-point.com today you use our promo code CR15 when you do make a purchase. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, Tennis Dash Point. Symbol, not the spelling, Tennis point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into our women's singles semifinals, David. And the match I want to start with is the own Jabour match, because I haven't done a good enough job marveling at the run of Tatiana Maria. It just, you know, again... It was a confounding run for Maria. Just the way she seemed to puzzle seed after seed after seed, whether it was Kirstea, Sakari, Ostapenko, obviously her creativity. That was a tough road. No, it was a brutal pathway. I completely agree with you. You look for Tatiana Maria. She played six total matches at this 2022 Wimbledon. Out of a possible 18 total sets played, she played 17 right 5 of her 6 matches ended up going 3 sets and that's a testament to the complete package that is Tatiana Marina i mean there were points in this match where she just abandoned top spin altogether and it was chip and charges slices off of both wings just you know taking a book out of a uh, page out of Onishabor's book excuse me and just you know playing a little junk ball throughout the course of this match and yet you know, foundationally, it's funny because while she doesn't overwhelm you with the power on the ground strokes, she can fire from the, you know, at the start of the point with the serve. She's got power oh, yeah. on that shot. And when she turns into her forehand, it's awfully impressive. That said, you know, again, you look at the scoreline of this match, David, 6-2, 3-6, 6-1 victory for Onjabur. Did Jabor get tested today? Like, I, I still don't know what to well, make of the game of Tatiana Maria. I don't know what to make of this match. Well,
1: uh, I guess we should start by saying that Tatiana Maria, when on grass, which is a lower bouncing, quicker surface, when she's doing those slices and coming in behind them, the, she makes it very difficult. She also forces you to generate your own pace over and over again, which I saw was talked about on Twitter today. And I think it's important to note here too, that she forces you to generate your own pace. She forces you to hit those low balls over and over again. She forces you to hit into tiny targets when she's at the net on those low balls. And I also respected how often she came into the net and how she wasn't afraid of the net. Um, Today she came in 52 times I believe, in every match but one, she came in at least 25 times. In today's day and age, even on grass, we don't see that very often. So it was really cool to see, and I really enjoyed. She bamboozled all of her opponents, and she had such a great fighting spirit. She was down a double break to Kirstea. Uh, She had to save, I believe, at least one set point in the second set against Sakari, She was saved two match points against Ostapenko. She was down a set and I believe, a break in the third against Nehemiah. I might have butchered that pronunciation, but I'm sorry. Um, And so she really showed great fighting instincts. And so it felt like today that the second set was a little bit like her last stand. Um, And I thought that when you asked about what do we make of today, it's hard to say because I think that if, It was 1-1 in the second set. Jabor had two break points. I think if she breaks there, she runs away with it. But, you know, I think Maria today took advantage of maybe an energy dip or some sort of dip in Jabor, maybe nerves. I don't know. What do you make of that second set? Because Jabor was just erratic and pretty bad.
0: Well, twofold. A Perfectly described, and anytime the word "bamboozled" can effectively be used in this podcast, it's just better word. for it. Oh, a fantastic <laughs> word! I'm so I there was a big smile on my face. I'm sure you saw on the Zoom the moment it came out of your mouth. You put it perfectly. Tatiana Maria plants her foot in the ground and says, "This is my last stand. I'm throwing the kitchen sink at you." And one of my pet peeves. It's not that I don't like aces as a stat. I just think it would be more effective if we kept track of unreturnable serves or serves that drew an error. Because Tatiana Maria had zero aces in this match, but she threw some unreturnable serves in the mix and Onjabur, particularly in set number two. And to your point on Onjabur, I did not think she played well today. I actually think that's the big picture takeaway is, you know, every once, twice in a slam, a top seed's going to have to survive, get through a match when they're not playing their best. That was this match for Own Jabour. She only made 49% of her first serves today, David, and, you know, 39 winners against 30 unforced errors. Obviously, in the end, that number looks solid. But you have to keep in mind, again, Maria wasn't blitzing her from the baseline. Onjabur had plenty of time throughout the course of this match. Now, I do think the big number is 17 of those 30 unforced errors came in set number two. And to your question of what happened in set number two, she became impatient. She blinked a bit. She just saw the scoreboard, sensed the opportunity, started forcing things a bit. The way that you know, four own Jabour, who you know throughout the course of this tournament has dropped now two sets. Uh, in total, but has dropped sets in back-to-back matches. I thought the same things happened to her in sets number one against Buzkova. Oh, my God. You're like
1: exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah, Yeah. it's
0: it's the exact same thing where just she was a bit impatient where it wasn't, okay, I'm going to wait three backhands before I play the drop shot. It was, I'm going to play the drop shot right away or I'm going to go with the short angle or I'm going to just try and bump back this uh, slice return and just come up with something creative on the run. She put herself in that position far too frequently in set number two. And it was a credit to Tatiana Maria who, to your point, I mean, talk about old school. We got chip in charge from Tatiana Maria who goes 14 of 20 at the net in set number two, 29 of 52 overall at the net. So, again, she won half of her – points at the net in that second set. The moment she sent Shabur was going to play a slice, she would pop in behind that ball and just, again, force Shabur to have to come up with something special. And some of the squash shots Shabur was able to hit, the on-the-run sliding cross-court forehand pass, that will be the clip of the tournament if Shabur goes on to win the title. That was exceptional. And I do think big picture, again, the storyline is that despite not playing her best, own Jabbour still found a way to win and win fairly comfortably. But to your, your question, I don't, I agree with you. I don't think she played well today.
1: Yeah. And I would also say, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but she has had a pretty easy draw until the quarterfinals too. So she really wasn't the first time. I mean, let's be honest here. And I'm, you know, no disrespect to these players, but, um, we have Bjorklund in the first set, in the first round. Ka- Kawa in the second round. Diane Parry in the third round. That's like challenger stuff. And then we get to the, and then we get to the fourth round, and she plays Elise Mertens, who had been struggling, played Jabor very tight. Probably should have won the first set um, against Owens, but credit to Owens for playing for being um, clutch. And then ever since then, Jabor's level has kind of fallen off. So we have. One player who we'll talk about soon and Rebakina, who is peaking at the right time. And one player who seems like she's starting to maybe feel the nerves and fall off a little bit. Um, do you well, agree with that?
0: I think to your point, it's more we haven't seen Jabour tested by elite power in a couple yes. of weeks. And, you know, she has won 11 consecutive matches on the grass courts. You look for Own Jabbour, yeah. who wins the title in Berlin, gets wins over Goff and Benchich and, you know Mukova in that tournament who can all play power, front foot, tennis. But you're right. I think her run to the Berlin title has been harder than her run to the Wimbledon final. Now, again, you can only play the player that's across the net from you. And all the credit in the world to Tatiana Maria, 30, 40 years old, makes her first Wimbledon semifinal, had a kid like 14 months ago and it's playing at this sort of level. One at this of, stage of her career. Yeah. Just in Lyon, right. Or whatever uh, that with, was. Uh, the but yeah. It just, uh, remarkable. And so when you look for it and more than anything else, the prize money, Tatiana Maria gets from making this sort of run. Now you can think to yourself, wait, should I continue to play? Like, I can afford to go play some events to build up my ranking now and not have to worry about it as much. It's a career extending sort of result for Maria. At the same time, I mean, talk about validation for Own Jabour, who has been unequivocally on that list of top 10 players since tour play resumed in August 2020. And I had this discussion with David Kane the other day. You know, if you're making uh, your tiers, right, of Grand Slam title contenders and everything they're in and players who are going to be in the mix in the second week, but you're not quite sure if they're title contenders, tier one, tier two separations there, David. I think tier one players since August 2020, I think there have only been two of them. I think Ashley Barty, who obviously is retired now, but I think she was pretty clearly a tier one player prior to her retirement. I think Iga Swiatek has elevated herself into that tier as well. Yes. After yes. that... It's jockeying for Tier 2, and you can throw in different names. You know, Krejcikova throughout much of last year was flirting with Tier 1, and obviously names like Kanteve, Sakari, Sabalenka, Muguruza when she's right, not this year's Muguruza. Uh, yeah, not but, kind of this yeah, year. But, uh, well, Pre-injured Conteve this yeah, year, maybe. Yeah. Start of the season Conteve. Those sort of players, right, they're all jockeying for Tier 2. Maybe you throw a Danielle Collins a Jess Pagula in there as well. The point is, onjibur has firmly been in that Tier 2 since August 2020. 96-34 and 34 overall. That's a 74% win percentage. You look for her at the Slams now. She's made second week or further in three of the last five. Back-to-back quarterfinals or further at Wimbledon. Now into her first Slam final. All of this does make sense from a career trajectory standpoint in terms of the rise we've seen from Jabeur. Now, to your point, has it been an easy draw for... Or an advantageous draw. I don't like the word easy. An advantageous draw for Jabeur at this Wimbledon. Absolutely. No one's arguing that. You play one seed to get to the final, it doesn't matter who those unseeded players are. Things broke well for you in this tournament. That said... I don't think, you know, and I think this will apply to Lana Rabakina as well, but when we look at Shabur, if she wins this title, there's no asterisk. There's no footnote. No, like not. I know, you know, again, players were banned from entering this event, but Jabur is worthy as such a arbitrary and stupid term but given the track record of success I mean again Madrid finalist uh, Madrid title Rome finalist earlier this season and just 96 and 34 overall since August 2020 she's number two in the freaking world David this makes sense to me you know we've had some unexpected Grand Slam champions this would not be one of them
1: yeah and she actually has the second highest ELO rating out of all active players as well and the second highest or in the highest on grass um at a, all active players yeah now, and much
0: and quickly for the record because it's actually been a while since i've referenced the elo ratings those are tennis abstracts elo ratings which measure who you play how you beat them as opposed to the current pro ranking system which is a measurement of where and what tournament you beat them in so a wimbledon quarterfinal o- or over maria excuse me a semi-final is more worthy to the wta rating system whereas in the elo system uh win over or Coco Gauff in a random semifinal is more valuable.
1: Yeah. And, and, and again, this second highest on grass is Egas Riatek. So I don't know, you know, we have to kind of take these numbers with maybe a little grain of salt, but I did think that was important to at least mention. And you're right. She, she, the proof is in the results. She's done a great job of putting herself in position and to also win these titles and, she used to maybe choke more in finals and she's done well. I mean, she won Madrid, uh, you know, Rome, she faced uh, juggernaut in Cibliatec. Uh She was doing great in Berlin before Benchets pulled the plug. So, I mean, she's, she should come into this final with a little confidence, but given how nervous she looked in the second set today and how calm Rybakina looked, it's, hard, it's just hard for me to see her winning, to be honest. Well,
0: again, for Owen Shabur who if points were awarded at this Wimbledon, would be firmly number two in the world rankings now. Yeah, I mean, look, another tennis abstract metric I do frequently refer to, my top 10, 15, 20, 25 clubs. Are you top 10, you know, in both hold and break percentage, which essentially is – what tennis breaks down to you look for, you know, typically there are about six to eight players ranked in the top 20 in both hold and break percentage throughout a course of the season, whether it's 2020, 2021, or now here in 2022, Onjabur has been one of those six, seven, eight players. And again, the skill set's just so complete. Her ability to not only drive the return of serve, but to have to play, be able to play a defensive return as, you know, a blocking return, that bump slice that just neutralizes things when needed. Her ability to turn defense into offense, the explosiveness of her first step, obviously the slices, the angles, the feel around the net. She's a fantastic contrast against any opponent, an exceptional playing style that's enjoyable. Again, I to your point, I don't think she's played particularly well throughout this run. Now, she's just been better than everyone she had to play. And there is a testament to that fact. But to your point, and this is how we can transition to Elena Rabakina, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The single most impressive player, the highest level we have seen from any player in this 2022 Wimbledon women's singles draw comes from 17th seeded and 23 year old Elena Rybakina, and the 17th seed, a definitive six, three, six, three winner over 2019 champion and, a player who had won 11 consecutive matches at Wimbledon in Simona Halep. I mean, you could hear it from Chrissy Everett throughout the course of the broadcast. You could see it with your own eyes if you watch this match. Rabakina was able to elevate to a level of power tennis, which you know I refer to Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club, (laughs) that was just unmatchable. It's just that level where everything's on her terms. And, you know, she breaks Simona Halep in the very first game of the uh, uh, very first service game for Simona Halep in the first set gets a break right off the bat in set number two and even when Halep is able to get that break back for two all it's Rabacana who immediately gets that break right back with it yeah yeah exactly the second set after handing that break back, immediately able to get that break right back uh, stay as the front runner in this match and Someone who can play the power tennis of Elena Rabacina, you just can't let be the front runner. You look for her in this match, five aces, no double faults, made 69% of her first serves, won 73% of her first serve points, 53% of her second serve points, faced only one break point in this match, 22 winners, 16 unforced errors. She was just better. Like she just blitzed Simona Halep. And we could get into the Halep service struggles, which were absolutely a factor in this match. But the reason Simona Halep felt so much pressure on that serve is because Rabakina was just teeing off on everything. And I don't even think Halep played poorly from the baseline. She was just always on her back foot. And that's a credit to the 23-year-old, David.
1: Yeah, and when you mention one break point, We're talking about against Simona Halep, one of the best returners on the WTA tour. We're not talking about against a a bad returner. We're talking about elite serving against an elite returning and the elite server won. Um, Here's some, here's just some facts. Uh, In every match in this tournament so far, Rybakina has won at least 73% of her first serves. Um, She, against Halep, she had 22 winners. Again, 16 unforced errors against uh, in the previous round against Tomyana 34 winners against 28 unforced errors against Petra Marchit. March in the uh, round of 16, 26 winners versus 17 unforced errors. She's hitting big and she's not making that many unforced errors. She said 26 aces compared to one double fault in those three matches, one double with as big as she's hitting the serve. She's only hit one double fault in three matches. That's ridiculous. And, for me, she also. Let's not forget, she beat Bianca Andreescu in the second round, who came in in great form. This has just been an unbelievable performance this tournament, and I will say, for me, I was maybe not expecting it that much, just because of how on grass uh, in coming into this event, she had only gone one and two and lost to Serenko and Shelby Rogers. But man, has she proved me wrong. This is unbelievable how she's been playing this tournament.
0: Well, it's so fascinating because Elena Rybakina has also only beaten one seed on her way to this final. And yet, to your point... Like, l- let's just go through the names. Coco Vandewey, who on this surface just has the weapons that can pose a problem. Rabakina beats her in straights. To your point, Drescu, one of our top five contenders uh, coming into this event. She beats her in straights. Jung Chin Wen was one of the standout players of the past six months on the WTA Tour. She beats her in straights. Tom Yanovich, a defending quarter finalist, played really well in that first set. But Rabakina just identified, wait, if I play power to her forehand, I'm going to get a short ball. And if I get a short ball, I'm going to win this match. And she did that religiously and relentlessly over the course of the final two sets. And that was the exact mindset she brought into this match against Halp, where it was like, wait, I can hit the ball bigger than you. And this match is on my terms. And whether you watch again, it was two of the first, you know, in in the opening service game, just two of the ball, unreturnable returns from Elena Rabakina create easy free chances and just how effortless her power is, not only from the forehand wing, but from the backhand wing as well. How well she moves and anticipates for someone her size, how strong her first step is moving forward in particular and coming forward to the net. And you look for Rabakina in this match, 8 of 13. At the net, but you know, I think that was, a lot of the time it was missed passing shots from Hallett because of the pressure Rabacana was putting on her. I mean, yeah, like there, it, it's t- this is why I have been on beating the Rabakana drum since the start of the 2020 season. If you went and watched the Power Tennis uh, 2021 season, excuse me, when you or 2020, no, when you watch the Power Tennis, she was able to play Shenzhen, Hobart, Australian Open, Saint Petersburg, Dubai. The run she went on. I, you know, I referred to this with David Kane as well, but I'm curious your thoughts. It's it's Sabalenka, David, but without all of the noise, without all of the extracurriculars <laughs> that makes Sabalenka so compelling as a watch for tennis fans. But it's that again, Maybe Serena was- Williams Power Tennis Country Club. I don't know how else to describe it. It's just a degree of power one can play that when I am executing my shots. Doesn't matter if you're the best retriever of the past century in Simona Halep, like Rabakina is just going to beat you, particularly on this surface.
1: How about that backhand? Her backhand is just huge as soon as she gets that short ball on her backhand, because her forehand can break down from time to time. Well, it Uh, gets a little
0: close to the body, right? So like if you can get good pace into the forehand, but it better be elite pace, because like I thought Simona Halep was lacing the ball today and Rabakina was just like, "Ah, I'm going to take it early on the
1: rise. And, and uh, Rebakina isn't that faster, around the court, but she doesn't need to be because she's the one sitting there dictating play. And I think that's where Jabor might struggle too. Is Jabor against like a uh, Buzkova or against a Maria? She's the one dictating play around court and gets to use that big forehand and and pull off those surprise droppers. She's going to be on the move against uh, Rebakina in the final because with the way Rebakina was hitting that backhand today, I mean... I bet her, you know, Jabour better put on her running shoes
0: because. Well, so I want to preview that match and let's do that next. But as we look on the flip side, just to put a bow on this, because again, we've marveled at Elena Robotta.
1: I know. And now, on the Simona you're going fall on her face, huh?
0: No, 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 no. Absolutely not. But I do want to talk about the Simona Halep side, and you look for Simona Halep, whether it was up 5-1 against Anisimova in set number two or throughout today's match, she was under 55% on the first serve, and today, 52% first serve percentage, went 12 of 32 on the second serve, nine double faults. I thought Chrissy Everett did an outstanding job of just talking about and identifying her toss was all over the place, above her head, behind her head, in front of her body, you know, in back of her body. She was just reaching and pushing and just clearly looked uncomfortable. I mean, that said, there were moments in this Wimbledon where whether it was against, you know, Anisimova through the first 35 minutes, whether it was against Bedosa or Mukova in round number one, Halep looked exceptional. And I mean, she's still thirty-one and nine overall on the season. She's still winning over seventy percent of her matches for the ninth time in t- in the past ten years. She's one of two players top ten in both hold and break percentage. Did Halep lose this? I Halep lost this match, but more than anything else, about gonna won it. And obviously for Simona Halb, 30 years old, it was her ninth, I believe, Grand Slam semifinal. You know, she only has only, I say, but she has two slam titles, but you know, which is remarkably, no one's doubting her Hall of Fame credentials, but you want to start getting into the elite of the elite conversations. And I want to look at her numbers compared to some of the other players in this 21st century. I think she has, like again, I think consistency wise longevity wise results wise there's a strong case for Hallop as one of the five best players of the 21st century. I think you start looking at the N. No no no. Anens Kleister's you know, certainly, obviously, Venus is going to be in that conversation. Serena, is uh, yeah. the unequivocal one. Yeah, and then Kerber, Kvitova, though, and obviously Naomi belongs in that conversation, but she doesn't count because she's going to be this centuries player because she's got more in the tank. Barty as well. You know, Barty I would ends put Barty up. With, ahead of no, her. Barty has more titles than Halep, right? And so, and yet, I mean, Halep accomplished more, like unequivocally more than Ashley Barty throughout the course of her career. If you look because, at everything else, right, the well, totality her crew, of their career. Well, (laughs) but so, again, it's it's a fascinating argument. Yeah, I I,
1: I see where you're coming from. Exactly. You're You're telling
0: me mid-July when you're trying to fill podcast hours, David, that that's not the ideal opening segment, because that's just again, I'm going to juice 25 minutes out of that. Would you like to join me for that conversation?
1: Yeah we can work something out, absolutely. Okay, I'll talk I'll talk
0: to Yeah, I'll talk to your scheduler. I know I gotta get in touch with your secretary. See (laughs) when you have time available. Uh, But (laughs) no, it um yeah, god, now I'm excited. Do you wanna do it now? I can look up the numbers. No, we're not doing it now. Um because I wanna do the proper preparation. I wanna be able to list the cases for each of these twenty first century players like Again, someone out there is going to be, don't forget about Maresmo's run. And it's like, yeah, that was, again, I just, the totality of what Hallop has accomplished. It goes from overrated to underrated so frequently throughout the course of her career. With all of that said, is this a disappointment for Hallop? or did she just run into a buzzsaw? Uh,
1: hmm, that's a it's tough. a little of
0: both, obviously.
1: Yeah, I mean, because she hadn't dropped a set before. She came into this match. She was playing so well from the baseline, was really a brick wall out there. I mean, she beat Mukova. Uh, Magdalena Freak. Freak was so good this tournament. Halep dismissed her. Vedosa Halep just blew through her. Anissa Mova, she blew through her until she didn't, but she got through <laughs> to the finish line. And so there was a lot of pressure on Simona in this match. All of a sudden, she was the favorite. Everyone else, all the other big names had dropped out. And I think she was definitely feeling it. And I think that might have maybe contributed to the double faults. Yeah, maybe she just was a little overwhelmed by the occasion. But I would lean more towards, I mean, we went through all of Rybakina's stats. You can't, I feel like she won it more than Simona lost it. Uh,
0: 75, 20, 80, 20, I was Yeah, the the 20% comes from the service struggles. That was just yeah. brutal for her and for three sets consecutively. Uh, that's just obviously a tough stretch for Hal. But yeah, Rabakina just outplayed her. I mean, Rabakina was exceptional and all the credit in the world has to go to the 23-year-old too. Because...
1: the Russian, right?
0: <laughs> uh, I do yeah. want to do this. So yeah. – I understand why it matters. I really do. Because to have countless players excluded based on their nationality when you have players in the draw who were born in Russia and yet for various reasons that we don't have to get into now, whether it's financial support from their federation, family relocation, all these various different things, you have players like, again, Sasha Zverev, I believe, was born in Russia. And like he is, you know, German nationality as well. We don't seem to have this conversation with him, obviously, because he's not in this tournament where it applies. But It matters. It does matter. I wanted to write it off as not mattering, but of course it matters when a player is excluded based on their nationality, when there are other players of similar circumstances for inexplicable reasons not excluded. At the same time, I feel like this is only a thing that matters to tennis Twitter and the true, you know, the hardcore followers of the sport who follow the day-in, day-out storylines like this. I don't think there's any casual player or fan who is watching this and is like, oh, she represents Kazakhstan, but she was born in Russia? Like, this is unkosher to me. Like, is anyone actually thinking that?
1: I I didn't want anyone banned. So, But I I just think it's going to be funny when uh, Kate Middleton... You know, I, apparently she was like throwing a fit or whatever that she didn't want to hand the trophy to a Russian, and then but she's gonna have to be the one that if she's the one at the trophy ceremony handing it to a de facto Russian, it's just gonna be funny, you know? Well, well, yeah, but like again, it's it's really just it's silly. It's
0: just a silly. Yeah. I just like I wouldn't waste an inch. Oh, uh, I wouldn't waste a breath on that part of the conversation. I know you got to fill an hour and a half, which by the way, a a match win lose three sets, two sets, it's usually under two hours. Like, you can just find yeah. better ways to fill the two hours than with that conversation, in my opinion. That said, I may be dismissive here of something that is a serious topic. Certainly, we're no, not sell just... that, yeah, the conflict in Ukraine, obviously the, aggra- the unprovoked aggression of Russia, all of these various different things. We're not writing off, but in the context of this slam, as I've listed, Elena Rybakina, you know, a ridiculous amount of success, 89 and 45 now since the start yeah. of January 2020. She's made the second week of majors in three of the last six slams. Obviously, back to back quarterfinal runs are further here for her at Wimbledon, or round of 16 for her last year at Wimbledon. But, you know, two quarterfinals now in the last six as well. Now makes her first Grand Slam final. And if you've watched the power tennis she's capable of playing, again, I just think it makes sense, David. Like I oh, yeah. I, I, have always been a big believer. I, I really do believe – and I hate – no, I don't hate being right about things. We all like being right about <laughs> things. So let's just be honest here. But I'm wrong plenty of the time. I feel like this is, is – Not okay. as often
1: as I am. Well,
0: I feel like this is – we can debate the merits of that at a different time. Um, I would agree with you there. I'm never wrong. Um, But certainly when you look for Elena Rabakina – it just feels like, again, this is a little kickstart where it's like, OK, now she is in that conversation, right? It's like she had flirted with it, had had some big victories, obviously had played some big matches in her career, should have probably beaten Pavlachenkova last year at Roland Garros. Pavlachenkova goes on to make the final there, obviously, Rabaka uh, beating Serena in that round of 16 match. You know, this is just like the definitive, it, again, career arc, 23 years old into your first slam final after making the second week in two of the previous five heading into this one. Like it's not an unusual or abstract leap. I do feel like we have two worthy first time champions where it fits into their career narratives.
1: Absolutely. And I, and I think that that it's going to be a very interesting final, a big, and a big, uh, st- stylistic contrast, and it'll be interesting to see, you know can Jabor get those drop shots? You know, can she move Rabakina around the court with the drop shots and the slices? And how does Rabakina respond? Or or is it going to be Rabakina moving Jabor around and taking the racket, taking that magic wand that Jabor has in her racket and out of her hands, essentially. Yeah. Well,
0: with that said, let's get into it. Women's singles final, Rabakina versus Jabour. You look for these two players. It's going to be their fourth career head-to-head matchup. It's a 2-1 advantage for own Jabour in the career head-to-head. You look uh, for her in this matchup again. The two played in Wuhan back in 2019. Uh a three-set winner there. Jabour, a three-set win over Rabakina in Dubai last season. They also played a match in Chicago at the end of last year. Rabakana forced to retire down a set in 3-2. So we can throw that two one Two own Jabour. Exactly. You throw that one out. These two play tight tennis. Simply put. You go from a weapons perspective, you probably give the edge to Elena Rabakina always. And she's third on the WTA Tour, this uh, fourth, excuse me, and hold percentage coming into this Wimbledon. That number certainly going to be top three, top two, take another boost after the run she's had here. You know, that's the singular top five quality amongst either of these players. Now, again, totality of skills, jabur going to look better via the metric. She is top two you know, 20 in hold percentage, top 15 in break percentage. Rabakina ranks 42nd amongst top 50 players in break percentage. She does have a go for broke nature that certainly when she's holding serve at the rate she is, allows her to take those sorts of chances, but can be streaky, can go on runs of unforced errors. Now, we haven't seen many of them here in Wimbledon, but certainly you feel like the creativity, the off-speed things Jabor can throw at Rabakina to get her out of her strike zone. There will be moments where Elena Rabakina finds herself in uncomfortable positions on the court. This Definitely. is certainly both players' toughest test of the tournament to date, which is well, absolutely what you love to see in a final. Ooh! I like that you're disagreeing with me here. Hold that thought for a second, David. Just two more numbers I want yeah, to yeah, yeah. our people. <laughs> a, Onjabur, 76.2 percent favorite over Elena Rabakina according to the tennis abstract singles forecast and once again shout out to Jeff Sackman had own Jabeur as the favorite to win the tournament from the start of the event one match away from having that singles forecast being validated again uh, that's number one I wanted to throw at you uh, Jabeur 76.2 percent favorite however minus 160 is own Jabeur. According to DraftKings, Elena Robachna just plus 125 odds as the underdog. DraftKings, the tennis fans at large, smart gamblers who always throw their money on these sorts of things, they see this match being far closer than the tennis abstract singles forecast may project. Now, again, David, you never have to apologize for talking uh, in front. You know, talking, interrupting me. God knows, I do that to you far too frequently. So, no, with that don't in mind, that. I'm zipping up the lips. I'm throwing out the key. The floor is yours. Your thoughts on this women's singles
1: so, final. So, yeah. So the first, first off, you don't have to zip your lips. You can always dump <laughs> in. The All right. Okay. Well, then let me I, just
0: say, no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead.
1: So the, you said that this will be the toughest test for black. And maybe in terms of the stage it is, but I'll say Halep, you know, beating a, a former Wimbledon champ on center court in the semifinals is a little tougher. Um, and she held her nerve very well. She also held her nerve very well. Let me tell you something. Aya was playing freaking fantastic in that first set against Rybakina in the quarterfinals and Ry- Rybakina never blinked. And so when we look at the intangibles, who's going to blink in this match? I think it's going to be Jabor. I really do. And I, I we've seen her get nervous in the big stages before, she looked visibly nervous today in the second set. Game went haywire. Here's the deal with Rabakina. I I was thinking this today. Against a lot of players in women's tennis, you go down a break, you play a loose service game, it's okay, you can get it back. Rabakina, especially with the way she's playing right now, we saw in the first set against Halep, set over. She's too good, too good on serve. I want to say in her uh in her service games in the first set against Halep, um she lost let's see seven points on serve in the first set you know and so I trust Rabakina in the big in the big moments here. I think that she Jabor is able to do her variety able to you know, step forward with the forehand and then go switch that slice last set or to the drop shot last second when she's in the in the front court and she's able to control the baseline and just, you know, have the ball on a string. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think she's going to be in far more defensive positions than she likes. I think that Rabakina is going to make her very uncomfortable in terms of just taking, like I said before, taking the racket out of her hand. And I think that, If I were, I should not be setting lines. But if I were setting a line, I would set Rabacchina. If I were setting a line purely based on the form that we've seen in Wimbledon, I don't see how Rabacchina wouldn't be the favorite. Now, with that said, like you said earlier, Jabor is now on an 11-match grass court win streak. She's, you know, like... You know, Sackman before the tournament had her winning. I had not that I am in any way close to Jeff Sackman, but I also had her winning to start.
0: I mean, I had her as a finalist as well, for what it's worth. Like she was a prohibitive favorite to make a deep run here. She was everyone's at least top three.
1: Right. So it's I can see how if we're building those kind of type of long term narratives and I can see how it's set where it's set, but, you know, I can only go based on what my eyes tell me, and my eyes tell me that Rabakina is playing the better tennis, she has looked like the better player, she's had the tougher competition, and I think she's going to win.
0: So, to your point about Rabakina's best being the best on the court, I agree with you there, and I think there are some telling numbers to point to. You look for Elena Rabakina, who, you know, in terms of, and I know Nick Kyrgios Obviously, persona non grata right now, and I'm not comparing their two game styles, but I'm comparing their successes as servers, two of the most successful servers in tennis, period, right now. You know, both of them obviously noted and easy to identify powerful first serves, but I think what they get less credit for is their success on the second serve and how. Infrequently, you know, they get to the double fault. Like the way you look at a Sasha Bublik at a big server, as a big server, certainly that first serve for Bublik is explosive, but that second serve is so inconsistent, and you feel like against him or against some other big servers, if you get a look at a second serve, they just become so much less effective. That's just not the case for Elena Rabakina, who ranks forty-second. In double fault percentage, uh, yeah, double fault percentage amongst top fifty players, meaning she doubles faults far less frequently than the average top fifty player. She's also second in terms of second serve win percentage, winning fifty one percent, uh, fifty one point seven percent of her second serves across surfaces. Obviously, that number's been amplified here on a grass court. That serve is just overwhelming. And with how well she struck the serve here, I mean, again, she's a 10 aces in two of her six victories and has pretty steadily been over that 5-6 count throughout the course of her matches. This is where I would love to say, though, how many unreturned serves has she had? How many slices out wide on the deuce side did she hit today that help got her racket on but – that ball landed nowhere near the tennis court. That happened on countless occasions. It does feel like Rabakina comes into this match with the biggest gun, which is her first serve and that ability to win free points. And as we saw today against Simona Halep, who, if not the best returner of the past decade, is certainly one of the top five returners on the WTA Tour of the I agree with you there. Decade. Yeah. And... Rabakina's serve overwhelmed her. Like, it just didn't matter. And so with how easily Rabakina dealt with the pace of Simona Halep, it was just remarkable to see. Now, on the flip side, the counter argument is that Jabor just does so many more things to make Rabakina uncomfortable than Simona Halep does. And what I mean by that is is that Simona Halep doesn't throw junk. Simona Halep's a line drive hitter. She's going to batter down the wall. She's going to beat you down over and over and over again until hopefully you end up breaking down. You know, Rabakana didn't break down. Everything was in rhythm for Rabakana. Everything was in her strike zone. There weren't a lot of slices. Yeah, obviously Halep was able to have some plus one success, get Rabakana spread out on the court, but everyone's going to find that sort of success throughout the course of a match. What Jabour does that's so different is is get the ball out of Rabakina's strike zone. I mean, will Rabakina have time to tee up on the forehand when all she's going to be seeing are slices to that wing, off-speed garbage, short angles, just nothing, you know, cleanly in her strike zone? Now, if Jabour hangs that ball short, Rabakina can make her pay. And I think the block return for Jabour, that's a kiss of death because you just can't give an easy plus-one look to Elena Rabakina. But the slices and the variety. If Jabour has time to get into her playbook, she has a way to make Rabakana uncomfortable.
1: Yes, but what I'm thinking is that she won't have
0: time. That's exactly it. That's a great counter. Is will she have that time?
1: Yeah. So that's why I think I think that. And can yes, you explain
0: for our listeners why you don't think she'll have that time? Because I think it's a good argument to make.
1: Because the ball, the serving, the ball striking. The ball is like a laser It really is. Like if you're watching, you know, if you, cause I've watched her now, you know, match after match, she did, she said, she's had 82 winners in her past three matches in women's tennis. That is not very, that doesn't happen very often, especially in best of three uh, where she played two sets against Martich and uh, Two sets today, two two sets today against Halep that were, you know, six three, six three. No, it's an, an eight, hour ten minute match. And she's able to hit 82 aces within those three matches, including the <laughs> Ten match, or 82 uh winners. So for me, I just the I just then also just watching, you know, Jabor break down in that second set. I just can't get it out of my mind. I just can't get it. And maybe I'm a fool, and maybe I and maybe you'll be texting me after the match and saying you should have stuck to your guns and your pre-match, your pre-tournament uh, pick. But I, I got to just go with my eyes. Tell me. Well, here's the
0: good news. If you would have placed a pre-tournament bet on Jabour to win at 5-1 to one odds, you could bet on Rabakina, kick your feet up, David, and just enjoy this match no matter what. So no matter what, you're a winner, even with the hedge here. Again, that's why sometimes it is smart to hedge. And I agree with you. The best of Elena Rabakina has been better than the best of Own Jabour. And you do feel like on this surface, the best of Elena Rabakina is even better suited for success then the best of Jabour now you look for both of these players in their careers in finals across levels ATP WTA tour uh, ATP WTA excuse me WTA ITF tour Jabour 14 and 9 Overall in her career, Elena Rabakina, 6-11. Overall in her career, Rabakina, just two WTA title— excuse me, just one WTA title in her career. Came in Hobart back in January 2020, has lost her last four finals. You look for Own Jabbour not only won the title in Berlin earlier on the grass courts, won the title in Madrid, of course, earlier on the clay this season, competing in what is now her fifth final of this 2022 season. I mean, the case for Onjibur is what happens if there are some nerves? What happens if that first serve stops landing? If Onjibur is able to find a rhythm, strike that ball a little bit earlier, David, and just get that ball out of the strike zone for Rabakina. But I mean, you're right. Like the case for Rabakana is this match and every match she plays is on her racket. That's the advantage of being a prospective member at Serena Williams Power Tennis (laughs) Country Club. It doesn't matter what your opponent's doing. (sighs) That said, first slam final, I think there's gonna be nerves for both of these players. More than anything else, David, I'm expecting three sets because even if Rabakina mm-hmm. does come out serving, you know, blitzing out of the gates, Jabor has enough things she can do. And I also think Jabor has enough juice on the first serve that she'll have some opportunity to get Rabakina stretched and play some plus one tennis that she's just gonna be able to keep this match close no matter what. And so I see three sets more than anything I else. See
1: that. But I'm just also just thinking back to like when we're back in beat Serena Williams at a grand slam. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, she, But then she lost the next match. She did. She did. But she has that ability to step up to the occasion that maybe her finals record doesn't necessarily show. But no, I, I agree. She's so I, I,
0: stoic I, as well.
1: I can see three sets. I can yeah. see three sets. And I'm you gonna-
0: look for Rabakina in her career against top 10 players, has had a pretty good Amount. I mean, look, 7-12 overall in her career, 23 years old against the top 10. That's pretty solid. Like, I, I it's not great, but, like, it's pretty solid. Now, she's lost her last five, but... Yeah, like let's go back to when she, you know, reached the final four of the Olympics last season. Or again, plays Sabalenka, plays Pavlochenkova deep into third sets at Roland Garros and, you know, Wimbledon respectfully, uh, respectively last year. Yeah, she's just – she has played some big matches before. Now, obviously, this is the biggest of them all, but I'm going to make a prediction tomorrow. As of right now, I I'm agreeing. Oh with no. You. I, no! No 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 no! I'm gonna make a pick now. Don't worry, too. I'm saying okay. I'm gonna make. I, I'm reserving the right, like you, to hedge tomorrow. Is what I'm okay. trying to say. But like you, I'm leaning Rabakina plus 125. I just think that's the value play. I think her power tennis is better than what Jabour is able to do on this surface. And then to your point, I don't think Jabour served particularly well. And Rabakana just has weapons to punish that retur- uh, that serve in ways Tatiana Maria, Elisa Mertens, Diane Perry, all of these opponents, to your point, that Jabour has faced so far do not. And so I am leaning Rabakana to ultimately win the match. And I think that is going to be my play tomorrow uh, as our GSP Ace of the Day pick but I'm always scared when you and I agree, David. So maybe I'll find an excuse in the next
1: Remember the, the last happy. Grand Slam women's final, we were all uh, all on the Coco goth train. and that No, train we too. said
0: Coco could keep it close. We said she'd make the final. First of all, My disagreements with you about Coco Gauff are long documented, David, (laughs) long documented. But we did say Ica was going to win. So like big picture again, you're focusing glass half empty, David, We're glass half full always here at Cracked Rackets. Now, unfortunately, to end this podcast, we do have to do a brief segment on some glass half empty news. Of course, that's Rafael Nadal's announcement. He's withdrawn from the 2022 Wimbledon. You know, uh, it confirms reports of an abdominal tear and seven. I love that we have a measurement of how deep the abdominal tear is. It's like, oh, it's a seven millimeter tear. If it was four millimeters, he'd be in. But that seventh millimeter was just an inch too deep, uh how, millimeter too deep. Do you I know, mean, go ahead.
1: Do you know how, remember Djokovic had one against against Fritz actually too at the Australian Open. Do you remember how big his was compared to Rafa's? I'm just curious. You know,
0: I keep a lot of stupid stats in my head, David. Abdominal tear length, sadly, (laughs) is not one of them. Um, I do not – and more broadly – I mean some of the tribal nature, some of the sh** you see on tennis Twitter, it's just embarrassing. Like and I know that's going to happen on social media no matter what because social media is a cesspool for that exact sort of content. But like to see – did you see the video of Djokovic drinking a substance from his water bottle and like people are like, what's he doing? Is he taking steroids on the court? Like this is illegal. Is he taking a bump of cocaine?
1: Like it's – the, well, the people that approached me about that weren't like that, but they were curious. And I was kind of curious, too. I think it's probably oxygen, but I guess they can't be doing anything illegal. No, it's no. that's food. what I'm
0: saying. It could be a treatment of some sort he got from his box. But to your point, it's not illegal. They're doing it on the freaking court. Yeah. Like, Jesus, what are we yeah. doing here? And it's just like... The conspiracy theories instead of – and I know this is so stupid because I love arguments. This show is predicated on having the fun sort of arguments that make f- being sports fans in general just worthwhile. But some of the conspiratorial sh- and like the tribal nature of it all, David, where it's just like you cannot root for both players simultaneously or you have to assume one is injured and or the other is, is faking it. And like the fake conspiracies, Rafa's not actually injured. It's all these different things. And to an extent, Rafa does get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to injuries. I mean, go look at the oh, 2009 John Wertheim piece about is he going to retire? And now 13 years later, he has not. At the same time, the man has been banged up. Throughout the course of his career, David, it's not as though he hasn't earned, you know, the perceived toughness persona uh, uh, personality or persona that he's generated for himself. I just think all the conspiratorial stuff is nonsense. And obviously, when you look for Nadal again, Abtair pulls out of his match against Nakirios. I know I just ranted at you for three minutes. Any response you'd have for me?
1: Yeah, you know, with Nadal, I'm going to stick away from the Nadal topic uh, too much, <laughs> but I'll I'll say, I do think at times it can be used as an excuse for him. You know, he's lost Shapavalov, Alcaraz, um, what is who else? He got Fritz. You know, every loss it seems like there's some sort of injury, and so we can't you can't kind of have it where if he wins he's such a fighter, and if he loses well it's the injury. Um, and so that kind of bothers me at times, but. You know he has earned. You may, I agree. He can he, I give he, you the
0: counter? He withdrew due to injury. It's like he played against Fritz with a rib injury that then kept him out for a couple of months. He like again against El against Shep Evolve, He's working his way back from an injury. I think those facts getting overblown is a byproduct of again the social media cesspool. But I I don't think that I like I I guess. I would disagree with you. Like the man is banged. He's 36, David. Like that's my argument in – not in favor of this. It's just like 36-year-olds have cranky bodies and Rafael Nadal is no exception. And it is remarkable that despite how much that body continues to betray him, he is still able to produce the level that he is. Like that absolutely has to be – and I'm not saying that's like argument 1A in favor of Rafael Nadal, but – it's probably six, you know, it's in the first six chapters.
1: Yeah. I, I guess for me, a lot of the times it takes away from the player, you know, you, and not, not, not completely even No, no, no. I get it completely. Fault, yep. You know, but like, for instance, yesterday, And sometimes it just feels like a little much, you know, you see, you know, the, his father yesterday gesturing for him to retire. Then he's running around like a hyena on the court and it's like, well, what's going on? Yeah. What like, and it's a, it's just a little much, but I understand totally what you're saying. And I agree with most of it. Um, and I think that I just felt bad yesterday for Taylor who, you know, I've, you know, we've both been watching him ever since he was in the challengers. And so to see, you know, that biggest moment of his career, and for him to just fall short, it was, it was upsetting to see, but, I am very optimistic, not to take the conversation to Fritz, but I am very optimistic about Taylor's – I mean this has been an unbelievable breakout season for Fritz.
0: Oh, no. We're going to do a full pot on the Americans as soon as we're done with this, Wimbledon, because I couldn't agree with you more. And with that said, two final things before I let you go with this topic in mind. The lucky loser argument.
1: I hate having it on this podcast because I
0: just think it's stupid. Withdraws happen. They suck. This is the first time we learned since the 1992 Australian Open where Richard Krajicek withdrew before the Australian Open semifinals that this has happened on the men's side before a semifinal in a slam. So first time in 30 years, David. Withdrawals suck, but they happen. It's part of individual sport. And to quote Taylor Fritz on Instagram – I don't want any handouts. Like, I don't think, Fritz. I don't think players would want that either. If they have lost the match, they don't want to continue playing in the tournament. Like I just, well, I mean, they, maybe they do, but I just like, do we want that? Really? It's not two loss elimination.
1: Well, let me, let me push back a little bit on one thing. Maybe the top players don't want that, but the players that need that prize money would probably snatch it up in a second.
0: Yeah. Um, no, 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 of course you're right. But I'm saying we as fans.
1: Yes. I would say that's the, and I'm gonna to try to avoid hyperbole here. <laughs> that is one of the most ridiculous ar- arguments I've seen. Because you lost, I'm, you know this isn't round robin. This isn't the World Tour Finals. You lost, you're out. That's that. Whatever happens afterwards doesn't matter because you're not in the tournament. And yes, we have lucky losers for the first. And if there's a bye, it's technically the second round. However, I kind of see the qualifying draw in the main draw is different, almost different. Not different tournaments, but different subsections of the same tournament, whereas this quarterfinals feeds directly into the semifinals. So it, I'm sorry. You know, when I feel terrible for Taylor, I was rooting for him really hard yesterday, but he lost.
0: No, lucky losers are for first. Once everyone's played a match in the first round, it's done. You can't add new people to the event. You can't or add a second loss elimination for one player but not another because then it's just lopsided. Why does this person get to play again? I thought Sinner was more impressive against Djokovic. He's the guy who should be in the Final Four if we're going to give that opportunity to anyone, right? It's just – I think it's a stupid argument. I agree with you. I understand it's disappointing for fans, ticket holders who spend all this it, money man. and now you don't get the opportunity to see the match, but go watch the juniors. There's really good tennis elsewhere. There's doubles as well. I mean, did what you about see? Him pa- yeah, exactly. All of it. But I'm saying like you pay for the two singles matches, right? And you really yeah. want the two main draw. And it's like, well, there is still a lot of good tennis on the grounds for your entertainment. I mean, Pavic today was playing with one hand, David. And like, You just forget – I don't do a good enough job highlighting the doubles on this show. You can only highlight so many things, and we try our best to highlight it all. But Pavic today playing with one hand literally could not use his right hand to guide anything because of a wrist injury he had. And just the speed with which that match was played and the quality of high-level professional doubles is just – Out of this world, David. But yeah, like I I agree. I just more broadly, I just think the lucky loser thing is is foolish. But obviously, with this announcement, Nick Kyrgios, Grand Slam finalist. Now we talked about the allegations he faces of assault off the court on yesterday's show with David Kane. If you want to hear more extensively about that, I highly recommend you go check out yesterday's episode. If you have any thoughts you'd like to add to that, David. Obviously, by all means, please do the question I have for you as it relates to Kyrgios, he's a grand slam finalist now in singles, David. I mean, talk about seizing the opportunity, obviously gets through with the withdrawal. but I said it coming into this grass court season and we had this argument, you know, yes, Kyrgios is only playing on advantageous surfaces, but if you've watched him play this year, it is so clearly the best tennis of his career. And like, He's got a puncher's chance against Novak, right? It's the same argument so. you would like, make for Rabakina. It's just like when he serves that big, a 7-6 set is possible.
1: You don't think that his brain is going to turn to jelly in the Grand Slam final? I think
0: it's going to be so fascinating to watch. And I again, faces significant assault allegations. And the ATP Tour's lack of inability to towards action in anything continues to be indicting. In this incident that there's gonna be what four top one fifty players with significant allegations facing them, all still actively on the tour.
1: You, who's the fourth? Is it Sabah are you talking
0: about? right? Yes. Who was he top might be off awesome
1: now. I don't well,
0: know. The the more broader point though being it's just I mean, again, for ne- it's just like again, with how well he's serving. No, because whenever he's been down a break, David, or everyone you think he's on the precipice of letting a match get away from him, it just hasn't happened in this tournament. Like it just hasn't.
1: Yeah. So I guess I'll start with, yes, There, are you know, the assault allegations I'm always about innocent until proven guilty. However, um with Nick, he's been such a jerk to so many people. Um, I would just say that
0: he's lost the benefit of the doubt
1: a little bit, but I still say innocent until proven guilty. Um, so for me, it's a wait and save in terms of that um, with it, but it does, you know, cl- if you hear about that type of thing, it does cloud how you can, you know, it, it definitely mm-hmm. it's in my mind when I'm watching him, like this guy might be a really bad guy. Um, with that said, talking about his game specifically, that serve is gonna, if his brain doesn't turn to pudding and if his shoulder holds up, His serve is going to be a very tough uh, shot to beat. And of course, Djokovic is the best returner in history. So definitely not the best, you know, of course, not to discount Cam Nori, but let's be honest.
0: No, I did it too, by the way, there. And I was about to say the same thing. What are your thoughts on the Nori match? My concern is just like, what does Nori do to hurt Novak? There's just that like even exactly Sinner, Sinner could hurt Novak with his ground strokes consistently. Van Reithoven could hurt Novak with his first serve. Nori beats you by wearing you down, by just, again, opening up spaces for himself, spreading the court. And it's just like Djokovic does all of that but better.
1: Yeah, and he didn't even play particularly well against Gopin. Um So I, I'm not optimistic about that. I think – Best case scenario for Cam, and this is not a shot of Cam. I remember I was watching Cam Norrie in the Binghamton final against Jordan Thompson when he beat him. And I think it was 2017. Do you remember that match? Yeah, and And many moons ago. Yes. And I was thinking to myself, how the hell is this guy going to be? How the hell is this guy winning? And how is he going to sustain it? Yeah. And Because he won that match. Shockingly. Of course, I think that was the match Jordan Thompson was complaining about the court. What's new? Um, But anyway, <laughs> uh, anyway, so. Kudos to Cam Nori for, because when you watch his technique, you're like, this guy might be is a future level, futures level player, but he makes it work for him. And that's what's almost like Misha Zverev. When you watch him, you're like, uh-huh. How is he doing? Have had the results he has, but is, he makes it work for him. And I think that's really admirable. And I would say that maybe he can sneak at it set tomorrow. But if we're looking forward to Djokovic, Kyrgios, curious is going to have to land a high percentage of first serves and he's going to have to hit his spots. He's going to have to hope to get to tiebreakers and he's going to have to hope to clutch out those tiebreakers. Now, we have seen in the past three rounds, he's won a clutch tiebreak in all three of those matches. I think he loses to pass if he doesn't win that four-set tiebreak. He won it. He, that third-set tiebreak against Nakashima, he won it. One, one set all in that match. Uh, he was very close to falling apart against Kareem. You could see he was starting to get angry and start seething. He won that tie break, came from 5-3 down against Skarine. So I'm more confident about him maybe sneaking a tie break, maybe two. But, man, Novak Djokovic on grass in a Grand Slam final against a – and let, let, I think Djokovic – throw those – I don't want to hear about the head-to-head, to be honest, because Djokovic was at his low point. In both of those matches, where mm. he played Curios, I think he lost to Taro Daniel in Miami right after losing to Curios uh, in Indian Wells that year, 2017. I believe maybe I'm mixing things up, but I'm. And yeah, I believe 2017 was Acapulco. Right around that time is when he also lost. So throw that, throw that <laughs> trash uh, because that doesn't matter. I think, but I think it matters in the sense. I think Djokovic is going to want to. Even you know, obviously, he's not going to need extra motivation in the grand slam final, but that can't hurt that he wants to right the wrong because you know, Curious loves saying how he has a winning record against him and you know, Federer and Djokovic and not not Nadal. But I think I think I saw on Twitter today against everyone but Nadal in the top ten. So you know, Djokovic is going to want to start to turn that around. I don't. I would say my prediction, not that you asked for, it, but my prediction is Djokovic in four.
0: I always ask for it, David. And so you'll take Djokovic in four over Nori, Kyrgios, or both?
1: Uh, over uh, Kyrgios is going to win in straight sets and plays Nori, but I think...
0: Maybe... No, no, no. I'm saying you're taking Djokovic to beat... What's your score, oh. Djokovic, Nori?
1: Oh, I, I'm sorry. Again, I'm sorry, Cam. I, I totally overlooked you. I was taking Djokovic in four over Kyrgios. I'll take Djokovic in three over Nori, and I don't think... <laughs> I think maybe one close set, maybe...
0: Yeah. No, I agree. I'm leaning Djokovic as well in that match. Well, with all that said, David Gertler, any more pieces from you? Do we get any more predictions down the home stretch of this Wimbledon?
1: I'm gonna uh, give a breakdown, a short, shorter breakdown of the uh Rabakina uh Jabor match. Yeah. Um and then maybe I'll do something afterwards on Rabakina just because I like if I haven't gushed a medal in Rabakina enough. Maybe I'll do it a little more because yeah. I am super impressed with her. Um,
0: all I ask, David, is if you gush about her, can you give a shout out to Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club? Because I just don't think people believe in it yet. And we need people to start believing in it.
1: It's really cool how when you look at the semifinalist today on the women's side, all four are just, well, maybe Jabor. We have the Slicers and the variety of Jabor and Maria. We have the Power Tennis of... Uh, Rabakina, we have the defensive and the, the counter-punching of Simona Halep. Everyone, it was... And it then was, you have,
0: the, by the way, the everything of Iga Sviantek.
1: Right. Uh, and so it's... I, I feel more optimistic about where women's tennis is going after Wimbledon than I did. Or after, I will feel opt- more optimistic after Wimbledon than I did after the French. Because it does feel like, to me, it's going to be more... I. I I don't think Sviatek wins the U.S. Open. I think it's going to be super competitive.
0: I think it was really refreshing, sorry to cut you off, that the world number one lost for the first time this year, right? (laughs) Barty was undefeated. Sviatek was undefeated after taking over the spot. And it's like, oh, yeah, there are other good players in the world right now. And we see a bunch of them who, again, given their career path, it makes sense that they're stepping up right now. So I agree with you.
1: So it's just really exciting um, to see where, where we go from here.
0: Absolutely. No, again, and we will have action covering all of it here at Cracked Rackets. Of course, again, looking forward to reading your pieces, David. All of them can find you at Blogger one on Twitter. Of course, a shout-out to you for your continued contributions to us here at Cracked Rackets. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the – editing job he does day in day out making all of this content possible again preview podcast the rest of the way on the great shot podcast feed recaps here on the mini break podcast feed all of that content available on our website crackedrackets.com. a big shout out to our friends at tennis point as well for their continued support tennis point.com the promo code is cr15 with all of that said for Our fantastic co-host, David Gertler, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. David, what do we tell our listeners?
1: That's the break.
0: And we will see you all (laughs) next time. Thank you, as always, my friend.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I really do.